there's always another podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. I'm Justin, and as always, I am joined by... I need coffee, but... Pepsi Sam. And I'm Caleb. Just don't combine the coffee and the Pepsi. No. Oh, God. Ugh. All right. <laughs> my, my brain just <laughs> automatically tried to combine those flavors, and I just... I It gave me a moment. No. Pilk is too far already. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry, what? It's Pepsi and milk. No. I'm sorry you had to find out about this. Yeah. No, this kind of happen. made it a thing. Uh, but yeah, as you can tell, we, uh, we're slightly trying to figure out what we're doing again here. Uh, it's been a little <laughs> bit for us. You, you've seen the, the, the schedule kind of weirdness. Uh, I will say just right up front, uh, no guarantee that there won't be more schedule weirdness uh, just because of the difficulties in scheduling recordings. But we'd like to keep things uh, making progress if we can. And so we've read some more of The Wave Kings and we are here to talk about it today. Hell yeah. <laughs> today we had chapters 31 through 35, uh, which had a little bit of everything. We've had uh, a flashback chapter that I found quite interesting. We had a a short-term prediction come true uh, as Kaladin did uh, a plan and it did not go well. Woo! Uh, we had... <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> so, uh, so good to see. Uh, we checked in on, on Shallan, who is uh, not going through quite the things that Kaladin is going through right now. Uh, and then we saw what Kaladin went through and it was quite a lot. So I guess we can just uh, just get right into it. We started our, our first chapter here, Beneath the Skin, uh, is our, our flashback chapter. Uh, and Lyran is a fascinating character to read about. Oh, yeah. Now. Fair, yes. <laughs> I, I, listen, I'm a, I am... A, this is my favorite chapter of this episode um, because Lyran fucking rocks now. Like, before this, uh, he was interesting before, right? Mm -hmm. But now he's got, like, more personification, and I'm good with it. I'm I'm all for it. I, I think Beth and I may be projecting into the future on this, but this is not the first time that, like, I think the most interesting thing about Lyrian is that he has very interesting normal person problems in this fantasy book. And I think that ends up in some really, some 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 circumstances that are are really fascinating to read about, uh, because we we open this chapter where he is is drowning his life's problems in drink, which is a a huge contrast from the Lyran that we've seen before, and he's just trying to to get through this shitty situation he's in and is is you know, thinking about his life and what has led him here. And, you know, these these other chapters that we're reading around it, we have you know, Shallan, who is trying to pull off this theft of a magical artifact. We have Kaladin, who is in this, this awful kind of enormous war and is this tiny piece of it. And and Liren's problems are, he's he's dealing with people who don't like him, who are in power, He's he's thinking about his life choices that have ended him up in this place. 
it's it's a very small scale conflict, but it's it's really cool to to see it. I think, and it's it's still like an existential threat to Liren, but it's right. much it's much smaller than yeah, you're right than the other threats that we're we're seeing in this book. Yeah, it's uh, it, it is very funny that I have um. I cast the guy who voiced uh, Karth and Caden from KOTOR and uh, Mass Effect in this role because <laughs> both of them are kind of boring characters until they get pissed off. And then you go, oh, no, you've got stuff going on. I, I, I can get into that. <laughs> I'm interested in that. And it's the same thing here of like so far he's been, you know, a pretty kind father, very understanding. He wants the best for his son. And that's nice. It's great. But, you know, it's, it feels like, you know, it's kind of it. And then, yeah, now he's drunk and growing resentful. And he's like, uh, Cal, it's, it, life sucks. This is terrible. Um, and, yeah, it's just, it, it is interesting to see such an, uh, a different side of him. Because I feel like a lot of times when you get these side characters, the tendency is to just be like, all right, here's the hat that they have. And this is the thing. This is their personality. And that's what they are. And that's what they do. Um, and... You know, I assume we're going to keep getting a, a good amount of flashbacks, but I, I figured Liren would not have a massive role in the plot. So the idea that we're getting a very fleshed out character who can kind of vacillate between these moods um, and these kind of his, his own trains of thought. It's really interesting. Yes. Definitely. Uh, and and to close out this whole Caleb and I crushing on this chapter thing. Um, before this, it felt like Liren's behavior was a facade, and it turns out it was a facade. And it's like, it's great. <laughs> Just like the Jekyll and Hyde musical um, starring David Hasselhoff. It doesn't always star David Hasselhoff. It's just the <laughs> meme version that caught on, all right? There's, there are some good songs in there. <laughs> the pro shot has David Hasselhoff. It's the best way to experience it. I also agree that Liren's a good character. <laughs> um it's i i feel like especially parent characters get hit with that sort of like this is your sort of one role that you will play to a protagonist problem more often it's more often that a character's parents will just be a little bit flattered to like fulfill some psychological role so yeah to suddenly get hit with like oh no remember how parents are people too like when you grew up and learned that it feels like we're getting hit with that in the text which is is just really good just like peter parker's parents in the amazing spider-man series who were actually secret spies the whole time hell yeah (laughs) starring david hasselhoff (laughs) i wish (laughs) yeah no uh sam you remarked on how you know it is is liren putting on a facade and we see here that he is but he's also like willingly putting it on to himself it's not like he's he's trying to trick people he's just trying to say like okay this is i'm going to treat this like how i want it to be and kind of hope that it comes out that way and it's not coming out that way and he's trying to deal with that so it it's a it's a a interesting kind of breaking point here he's putting on a brave face Mm mm-hmm yeah but uh, the the things that uh, that Cal is thinking about here, uh, he's he's thinking more about how the the townspeople are are treating his dad because it's it's starting to get a little worse. Things are are starting to slip. It's cold because they can't afford 
charcoal to to get heat and cal says we we have all these all these spheres that are supposed to be for my education we could spend them we have this this wealth we need it uh, and uh, Liren is insisting that they're they need to be for Kel's education uh, but he also explains that uh, Rashon is is trying to get them to break and and spend these and he Liren is not going to break he's a a, a principled man we've seen that in his uh his treatment of, of his, uh, his job of, you know, how he, how he'll, he'll always treat people. He won't accept payment for it. Uh, but he also, he has a principle here that's, you know, kind of a, a stubbornness of Rashon is not going to break me. And he's going to stick to that just as much. Some cool details in the middle here is just descriptions of things like Liren's jacket or vest being open, like flayed skin which is a very kind of dark image that feels thematically tied with this character that I thought was really cool. Um, there is an embarrassing inconsistency with how much wine is currently in Lyrid's cup, because at the start of the chapter, it's half empty. And then on the next page, he fills it back up. And then like a page later, he takes a sip to empty the cup. It's like, what is it, Brandon? Is the cup glass full or empty? It's just like a t- actually a tiny little shot glass. Yeah. A sip is, is all that it takes to empty it. He's a lightweight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he doesn't get drunk often. It's possible. Yeah. And it is the strongest of liquors that he's drinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's violet. But uh, yeah, there's there's some interesting discussion on how the rest of the townspeople are treating Rashon. Because uh, because Cal says when when Wistio was here, that was almost irrelevant to the people of the town. They just kind of went about their lives, and you know Wistio was in charge of things, but that didn't really matter. Uh, and now with Rashon, who is evidently a, a significantly worse person to interact with, a lot of the people of Hearthstone are kind of falling all over themselves to to do what they can for him, to do whatever he says and and all that. Uh, and and Liren says that, yeah, it's it's because he's an awful person. They think that they can, you know, they they think that uh, they can, you know, get on his good side, uh, even if Liren thinks that's impossible. So it's it's been quite a shift here in Hearthstone. There was a time when I would have found that behavior to be unrealistic <laughs> of the people to want to please this guy who actively hates him or hates them, basically. Mm-hmm. Could that but... potentially also be tied to someone in power who uh, does not believe in supporting medicine? <laughs> See all sorts yeah. of ties. Yeah, you can't trust those medical professionals. And we move on. And we move on. <laughs> <sighs> oh, hooray, robbers. Yay. No, it's a lizard. <laughs> it's a lizard. Sam believes it's definitely a lizard monster. <laughs> Cal definitely believes that it's some sort of lizard monster for about five seconds. But uh, yeah, we, we are interrupted by literal robbers at the door. Uh, because... You know, Liren gets up, marches over, opens the door to see what is uh, 
see what's out there. And there's an angry mob. There, there's a, a group of, of townspeople from Hearthstone who are uh, dressed in black and have improvised weapons and are here to do some violence. The uh, the scene here is there's a, a a decent group of people here who are are demanding the uh, the spheres. Liren thinks that their plan was to just break in and take them, and they're they're somewhat surprised by the fact that there's actually people here. Uh, but they're going to they're going to threaten him over them. They you know they say those those spheres aren't yours, and and he says, well they're not yours either. You can't just come take them from me. Yeah, to, certainly to his credit, uh, just in terms of sheer bravery, Liren's first line is, I'm ashamed of you guys for trying to steal from me. Yeah, he's, he's kind of awesome in this scene. Yeah. I would not have opened that door. Yeah, I don't know if this is, you know, how much of this is, is Liren's kind of standard... He has a very straightforward approach to things coming from being a surgeon of, you know, this is what needs to be done and I'm going to going to do it. Uh, he's also, you know, a little drunk and uh, we'll, we'll not sure what that is uh, is doing to his judgment. But yeah, he goes right up there, opens the door and and starts berating them. And as they're they're not really willing to budge, uh, he he does pretty spectacular move it is it's the middle of the night these people are are dressed in all black they're you know coming beating down the door and he takes the the goblet full of spheres and he says here you want them here they are and and uncovers them and and we've seen the the primary purpose of these day-to-day has been a source of light for the the operating room and so he just turns the light on in the middle of the night and and sees this this crowd of people out here and it shifts quite rapidly and and Cal thinks in with the light shining on them this isn't scary at all this looks kind of dumb there's these people you know dressed up in robber costumes and he recognizes one of them there you know he he says Hey, that's that's Luton, who uh, is has has a a bad leg because he still has a leg because Liren operated on it. I love that. That's the first guy he clocks. That's the first detail he he notices is, oh, this is the guy. Or this is one of the guys we have helped completely free of charge, and now he's here to rob yeah. us. Uh, hey, and uh, guess who's next? Harl, the dad of the uh, little girl who died and whose only chance at living was Kaladin trying his best. Mm-hmm. And then Liren has a, has an ultimatum for them of do you, do you you people who know me personally want to come here and beat me and rob me? Because if that is what you want, go ahead and do it. And when when they have that second to look around and to think about it, it turns out that nobody does, and they they one by one all all leave there. It's a very cool scene. Very cool. After this, uh, it is our our only flashback of the section, and so we're going to have to come back to this later and see 
how things are changing in, in Hearthstone because they do seem to be changing quite a bit. Uh, but we are going to return to Kaladin in the present uh, where he has been uh, he's been trying some some interesting things uh, on Bridge 4 and we will see how those work. Can I just say I love this epigraph? This one in particular. Yeah, we are we're back to epigraphs now that we're we're out of the flashback chapter. Uh, is it the uh, the quote itself or the the annotation on it? The annotation on it. I am all in favor of drawing conclusions from weird sources, um, and as long as you can corroborate them, uh, it's really kind of fun to make those arguments when you're when you're writing and when you're reading you go oh my god that's oh my god i get that it's great it really trips my uh, my historian trigger here it's great yeah we have here a uh, a quote from the song of the last summer uh, which the the annotation here says is a a fanciful tale of romance but then also says that uh, this particular quote about uh, some people living high atop a uh, a tower uh, is likely actually referencing a real thing, uh, and then notes page twenty seven of Varlow's translation uh, and the undertext. So we we do have quite a, a variety of sources here. Yeah, I do like this one. There is a uh, epigraph coming up where I'm like, okay, there's a lot of lot of conclusions being jumped to here it feels like or dots being connected that shouldn't but we'll get to it <laughs> so this chapter is called side carry uh, and that is what it is about uh, we saw the last time with kaladin that he was he was working on this new idea of using uh, the bridge itself as a, a shield because it's the only thing they have uh, and that has uh, that's still been uh, the process it it opens noting that they are getting better at doing this, but not much better, because it is not really a, a practical operation that they're trying here. The uh, the first thing that, that we get, though, while uh, Kaladin is is watching this, this practice here, uh, is it's time for another batch of recruits uh, among the, uh, the bridge crews, because there's a, another kind of sorry lot that's been dragged in and they're they're gonna get uh, they're gonna get doled out so gaz is uh, is working on that and he he does that he gives them to uh, a half dozen bridges or so uh, none of whom go to to bridge four i can't believe we're on chapter 32 and gaz is still like i'm gonna see if i can fuck over kaladin and get away with it like no <laughs> no you can't it's not happening. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's like you you barely lost anyone on the on the last run. Yeah, but you gave three members to a bridge crew that's already full. Yeah, you asshole. <laughs> you asshole. Uh, but because it's Gaz, uh, Kaladin is going to bully him, <laughs> and uh, and the result is that. Uh, uh, bridge four is going to get one person, uh, but Kaladin gets to pick who it is. And uh, so Kaladin is uh, is starting a, a kind of inspection of, of who his choices are, uh, which is uh, 
is interrupted by uh, someone saying, "Hey, pick me. Uh, you should, you should, you should pick me for your your crew." Uh, it is a uh, it is a Herdazian man uh, who only has one arm, and uh, Kaladin has a, a moment of thinking. I know they they dump anyone in a bridge crew, but the only thing that this person is going to do is stop an arrow. He like he he can't carry a bridge at least very effectively with one arm and he doesn't know what a bridge crew is <laughs> this uh this guy here uh is smiling and is chatting with with cal right away uh he he says you know i'm a, I'm a good fighter uh you know i i think uh, i think you you want to you want to pick me for your group and kaladin says you know what Yes, we'll we'll pick this guy. I I kind of love this from Gaz's perspective of like, you roll up, you're like, I'm definitely in charge. You are once again bullied by this man who is definitely your inferior for whatever that means, and then he picks who a guy who in your eyes is just the most. He just completely throws away his draft pick and is like. And then Kaladin is just like, shut up. <laughs> I'm keeping him. He's my little guy, okay? <laughs> He's my special boy. I mean, as this book has already illustrated, like, morale is kind of the most important thing here. It's one of the only things they have. That's a good point. Yeah. Hmm. And this guy's just happy to be here. I love Lopen. He's just kind of a weird little guy. <laughs> Welcome to the Lopen. Yay. <laughs> you know, he he says his name is Lopen, though some of his cousins they call him the Lopen, because they've only ever met one Lopen. And he just uh just keeps talking. The uh we'll we'll see a bit more of this later, I think, as we you know, Lopen is uh very happy to talk about his family and the Herdazians in general. Uh Herdazian culture, uh, as Brandon wrote it, is uh, somewhat Hispanic influenced, like that's kind of the the vibe that you're supposed to get. Hey, in the audiobook, uh, Michael Kramer as the narrator went very Australian for Lopen. <laughs> it's silly, but I kind of like it. Incredible. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm just happy because like we haven't got a lot of details on Herdazian, but I already just kind of made that a little rule, and it's cool. Like. You know, you get to Lopen and he starts calling people Gancho, and I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds like a, a Latinx turn of phrase. Um, and yeah, this is a cool little discovery of like, oh, I got it right. Yeah, as soon as I saw a, a name ending in O, I was like, all right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah, that's a classic kind of Spanish staple. So, yeah, it is. Uh this is uh this is what we're gonna go with lopen has has joined bridge four and uh you know he's uh does not know what he has gotten himself into what he volunteered for and uh kaladin has to has to explain it to him the explanation does not uh not get very far because it's time for a bridge run right away and so this is you know not really not really time to do any explaining uh Kaladin makes a decision he has he has a new recruit who uh 
is is not injured like some of the others are, uh, but it will be difficult for Lopin to carry the bridge. Uh, and so he says he tells Lopin, uh, get some water skins, get them filled up from the rain barrel, uh, and then uh, and then come with. So bring some bring as much water as you can for us. <laughs> And Lopin hears this, and he brings every water skin that has ever been produced. <laughs> My man commits. <laughs> Hell yeah. Got, I've got one job. I'm going to do it right. <laughs> and I'm going to drag these other two people I don't know into it, too. Yeah. I, I think we've uh, we've mentioned before in previous books on how uh, several of us are fans of the, the character who is instantly ride or die. And... Yes. Uh, I think Lopin qualifies here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he's kind of the first one in this crew, too, because, like, Teft obviously took a while. Even Rock took a little bit. Lopin is instantly like, you want water? I'll give you as much water as you could possibly ask for. I got you, man. <laughs> and he's he's doing, like, he's doing a great job of it. You know, he brought, uh, brought Dabid along to help carry this... Uh, this kind of platform they have uh, and or he, he brought David and Hopper who have been recovering from their injuries uh, and I believe not going on bridge runs at all. And Lopin has, has gone, we need to, to carry water. Those two, they can help me carry water. So we're the water crew now. I can also absolutely buy Lopin convincing them to do this because, like, we've talked before of, you know, if you're in an emergency situation, it's very important that, like, you specifically point to one person and tell them what to do rather than just talk to the crowd in general. That is true, but I feel like people are even more likely to do it. I mean, if it's an emergency scenario, this probably shouldn't be your attitude. But in general, when there's a lot going on, it's even more likely to do it if someone is, like, smiling and going, hey, buddy, I, I need you to go do this. Like, I it's going to be great if you do that, like... If you're friendly and also authoritative, I feel like that makes it even more likely to someone for someone to go. Sure, man. Okay, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I can do that. I mean, and... that's how you you end up with uh, horrible security breaches when someone walks up to the office and says, "Hey, can you give me a hand? I need to haul this inside." That's true. Just <laughs> act very confident, and know, like you know what you're doing, and hold a clipboard. Carry a clipboard, yes. chief safety officer. <laughs> I'm really a fan of, uh, have you seen, like, the the joke um, where they took, uh, like, what, the the pictures, pi- picture instructions of, like, what to do in an emergency, and it shows the instruction for that, for, like, assi- like tell somebody to do it, but they change the text to say, uh, step one, assign blame. Yep. <laughs> you did this! <laughs> <laughs> it just, yeah, it just like rewrites all the captions on it. <laughs> so great. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and uh, it's it's a good thing that the the newly formed water crew is here, uh, because this is uh, this is a long one. You know, they're they're trekking pretty far out there on this bridge run, uh, and Kaladin can see that that bridge four is definitely doing better than they would have before. Uh, it, it's not it's not perfect, but they have been they've been practicing. They've been keeping themselves alive and and well fed now thanks to uh to rock's stew and you know it's it's going okay for a long bridge run but uh they are they're they're way out here uh they have 
made their way to the tower, which is a, a particular plateau that we've heard reference of before. Uh, it's it's tall. It's got a a big kind of point on one side. It it's got a big slope on it, so you can only really get to one side of it. And that is uh, that is the target today because the the Parshendi have gotten here first, but they have not gotten to the the gem heart yet. They're still trying to to open this chrysalis, and so Sadius is going to make an attack at it. Great. Yeah, this is uh, th- this is already going to be a messy one, and uh, Kaladin has uh, he has his plan. He has his his side carry to try to protect them uh, from the arrows. Uh, there's also uh, Gaz who said, "Hey, you know what? You should do that on your next bridge run. I think that's a great idea." So he's uh, he he needs to try to to follow that. Uh, Teft quite reasonably says this is slow and awkward and I don't know if it's going to work and Kaladin says I need you to trust me I I need you to to try this because it's one of the only things we can do and uh, that's uh, going to be the plan there's a sweet moment where he's talking about how he's going to be steering in front um, and says if if I die, then you can just switch back to normal and you'll be rid of me. And Natam says, what if we don't want to be rid of you? Um, yeah. Yeah, can't wait for Natam to die. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's a sweet <laughs> moment. Oh, man. And this, before we dive into what exactly happens, the the issue is uh, twofold. Because, you know, people emulate it, but also just as a general thing, he's too fast. He's faster than everybody else, his crew, which creates chaos. Yeah. <laughs> Justin, describe the chaos. I will describe the <laughs> chaos. Uh, we've we've seen that the the bridge crews are not you know part of the army and are not commanded as such, but it is a a pretty routine operation here where you have a a group of bridges that all charge and they're roughly equal pace because they're all just piles of bridgemen running them and when things go well at least most of the bridges get set and then the cavalry charge arrives right afterwards uh, and and then Sadius's army shows up and uh, Kaladin is uh, going to change all of that right here because uh, they are they're about to try their side carry. Uh, Lamoral, who is the the officer who is technically in charge of the bridge crews, is a, about to uh, to say something about this to go set things right. And then Gaz reminds him of you know, hey, this is that whole thing about Kaladin just kind of going away. Just watch. <laughs> uh, and they are yeah they they start their run. And bridge four, as we said, they're they're now better trained than all the other crews, and so they're actually making a uh, a good pace, uh, which lets uh, lets Kaladin start this uh, this charge. Uh, it's a very different one. It they're they're running at a, an angle so that they can actually keep the bridge in front of them, and then as the uh, the the Parshendi start firing. 
they, he starts this kind of zigzag approach of keep the bridge in front of us, keep it between us and the arrows, and just go back and forth and approach the, the chasm as best we can. And for a little bit, it works. They, they get a couple of volleys of arrows that they are able to stop. Uh, they're, they're getting closer. And by the, by the last one, the one that he thinks is going to be the worst, uh, the Parshendi have, have redirected their attention. And Kaladin thinks we actually did it. We, we stopped the arrows. We still got there roughly on target uh, and so let's let's set our bridge and it, it worked and it, was, it worked and i also gotta i gotta say i've been I'm not shit talking the plan but like talking about how the plan doesn't make sense to me and i finally got to this chapter and it got even worse because i was like you're gonna be running at an angle and then they head off to the right first and i was like but you're carrying the bridge on your right that's gonna be even worse and then I realized zigzagging is part of the plan to approximate a straight line. I was like, oh, it all makes sense. Kaladin's not an idiot. It works. It all works. And then Kaladin looks around at the rest of the army. And basically every other bridge is in complete disaster. Some of them have just taken too much arrow focus because of the, the Parshendi redirecting. Uh, some of them are trying to, to emulate Kaladin they see you know they've heard about bridge four they see this plan work they start doing it themselves and the whole thing just starts going to pieces we did it Kaladin we saved the city <laughs> yeah the the ups and downs of this chapter are just so effective because like you start on kind of an upswing of like uh it seems like Bridge four is kind of coming together. Even this new guy, like based on the the new sort of culture Kaladin is fostering, like he can jump right in and help. But then there's there's kind of a dip where you're like, oh crap, this is gonna be a big run. That we we may lose a lot of people. But then you see like, oh my god, our our hero's grand plan came together. It worked. And then he turns around and the world just drops out. It hurts. It's really good. I do have to say. I understand why Kaladin is like, oh shit, I screwed this up. This is my fault. And I feel bad for the actual bridge crews who all die. There was a, a, a significant portion of my brain that was just like, sucks to suck, Sadius. This is on you because you had such a shitty system to begin with. Yeah, I think that's also fair. Yeah, he, he failed to foresee that people like to preserve their own life. Right. Yeah, if if you're going to... This plan depends on on the bridge crews. Like we've said before, these are vitally important to your your army's strategy. And if you're just going to let them do whatever under the assumption that it won't matter because they're all worthless and interchangeable anyway, then it's all going to go to pieces when someone decides to try something different. It's also, not to get into our theory section so quickly, but like, all the bridge crews saw how effective that was, and even though they all died doing it, this is also a cat that you can't really put back in the bag very easily of like, oh, yeah, bridge four didn't lose anyone on that run. Now everyone's going to want to do that, even though a bunch of us just died. Like, 
this is not just one single loss. I feel like it's going to be, oh, now none of the bridge crews will uh, want to run the same way ever again. And Sadius's entire system is going to be upended by this, but we'll see. Yeah, Kaladin is, is looking around at the battle and not only has it had an impact on the bridge crews who tried to emulate this and, and failed, uh, but that has now rippled up to the army uh, because the first part of their assault is a cavalry charge as the bridges get set. Uh, and Calden, with his his military experience, knows that the point of a cavalry charge is to have this unbroken wall of of charge that the enemy can't escape, that they'll be intimidated by, and now that you have this, you know, only a couple of bridges actually got set, the charge is broken up, they can get surrounded and, and outmaneuvered. So yeah, not only has have the other bridge crews failed here, but the whole assault has just fallen apart. And, uh, you know, he, uh, Kaladin is, is thinking that, you know, there's, there's going to be repercussions for this once, uh, once everything is done. Uh, and then uh, everything is done in this immediate battle, and Kaladin realizes, well, there may be repercussions right now because there's a there's a, an army unit on the way to have some words with with Bridge Four. And as they are approaching, Bridge Four is is getting ready to do something about this. Like they're starting to to get behind Kaladin's back, uh, and. He has to tell them to to stand down. He tells Rock and and Taft, get everyone back to the to the barracks. We we need to just keep our heads down and try to ride this out, and don't make a scene here. And then Lamoril decides, let's make a scene here. Well, yeah, Lamoril's certainly going to to do something about it. Kaladin is going to try to keep the rest of the the bridge crew from from escalating things. It is a a very brief, funny moment where uh, Gaz shows up and is is already angrily shouting, you know, do you have any idea what you've done? And it turns out that Kaladin knows exactly what he's done and spells it out in detail. Still, still bullying Gaz to the last. Yeah, because he, he lays it out. He says, I, I ruined the strategy. I, I ruined the assault. Uh, you're here so that you can punish me right away so that when your superiors come to punish you, you can say, I've already taken care of it. Uh, which it seems like is exactly what is about to happen because Gaz just kind of just kind of stops. And uh, Kaladin says, if it's, if it's worth anything, uh, I was just trying to survive. And uh, Lamoral responds, Bridgman aren't supposed to survive, which is a hell of a thing to just kind of casually throw out there. Mm. And uh, Kaladin's kind of last thing that he has to, to offer uh, is he says, don't kill me because if you kill me, it looks like you were trying to cover something up. And if I'm still alive, then at least I can tell your superiors that this wasn't your idea. So that's, that's all I have. 
Whereas the more realistic Lamoral probably in his own head goes, I'm a dead man walking. Nobody gives a shit what Kaladin has to say. <laughs> Might as well just fuck him up. Yeah. It, they don't kill him. He, Kaladin does argue successfully for that. Uh, but he uh, he has has earned himself a uh, a beating, and uh, it is it's not a uh, it's not a short one because this this group of soldiers uh, they they take Kaladin, knock him to the ground, start literally kicking him while he's down, and that is where our chapter ends with Kaladin fading into unconsciousness here on the plateau. So, yeah, we we saw the side carry deployed. It had one brief moment of success, and then everything comes crashing down. Uh, to be fair, the side carry on its own was a rousing success. Absolutely. Everything about <laughs> the side carry worked great. Um, also, his last thought before he presumably falls to unconsciousness is how his spheres have lost their stormlight again. And Calden, I'm begging you to ask about like, that's weird. Please notice that that's weird, man. <laughs> and I, I know that this is just like an, an artifact of the publishing process, because before we go to our next chapter, we have another full page illustration, but I, I really do like the fact that this chapter ends on our edition halfway through a page, and then we have an entire blank page on the other side before we go on. It really does give a feeling of, like, this is this is the end of a moment here, kind of. Yeah, I will say I was too caught up in the idea of, oh, this page is blank. That must mean I'm about to get a full page illustration. So unfortunately, I did not have that feeling because I was just too eager to see what pictures we get. <laughs> All right. Well, we, we do have a, a bit of a diversion before we see uh, what next hell Kaladin has got himself into. Uh, so we'll head onwards to our illustration and chapter 33. All right. Uh, yeah, let's take a look at this illustration, which we will learn more about in chapter 33 cymatics uh, but the first thing that we that we get is some cool looking cities that look like the kind of thing that i would build when playing a city builder game <laughs> they look almost like the kind of thing that a city planner would plan deliberately or god or god <laughs> i yeah i'm getting i'm i got some elantris vibes from this just having this entire city layout resembling a certain shape. I thought this was really cool. Yeah, no, there uh, there's some some neat looking patterns. And uh, yeah, let's let's see what we have in uh, cymatics. Uh, our our next uh, epigraph here uh, has a, uh, a quote about uh, that says they changed even as we fought them. Uh, and then this is a, a kind of a, a double quote here uh, where this is this is supposedly something from uh, Teleton, who is a, a radiant, uh, and this is I, I'm trying to work out the layers here. Uh, yeah, where... this was the one I wanted to scratch Sam's historian brain about because this actually made no sense to me. <laughs> I've had to do this. I I had to do this in my in my thesis, uh, because um, the Spanish but up but up but but burned like every aztec document like all of them 
Um, except for one, which nobody took care of, and they took it to Spain, and it's a mess. Uh, so I had to quote a Spanish source paraphrasing what the Aztec source said. <laughs> because there's nothing else that proves the point. And you're like, what the fuck? I, I, there's nothing. So you just have to use whatever scraplets you have. And that's kind of what, uh, what uh, presumably Yasna is doing here. Yeah, this is the only little tidbit nibble that exists. But but there's like three different sources, and I don't know who's doing what. <laughs> from from what I can tell, the this is uh, a thing that Talatin said that was part of the poem of the seventh morning, and yes. this this poem has been lost, uh, but a portion of it was quoted in Guvlov's work Incarnate, which is is something that they do have and is apparently treated as a reliable source. Correct. Those are the layers. Okay. I did not connect that Talatin wrote the poem of the Seventh Morning, which... I don't know if he like... wrote it or if he was quoted in it. Yeah, I think he was just quoted in it. What kind of poem quotes people? The Iliad? That's oh, yeah. an epic poem, right? Yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, it's yeah. God, I love the Iliad. I can't, I can't defend against that. That's a good point. All right, yeah, okay. Yeah, my hot take is that um, the Odyssey kind of sucks and the Iliad slaps, and that's the whole thought. I wouldn't yeah. say the Odyssey. The Odyssey does not suck as much as the Aeneid. The Aeneid sucked. That's true, but Aeneid is a weird like fringe thing that like they kind of loop lump all of them together but i mean it's really off doing its own thing yes <laughs> but a as the the three works of of roughly that era epic poetry that i read in high school aeneid is by far my least favorite of the three i would agree with that ranking uh back in roshar where they don't know what any of these works are uh <laughs> shalon is a uh, still doing her her scholarship and is just kind of like marveling at what she, what her life has become at this point because uh, she is uh, she's assisting Yasna in getting some some works from the Palinaeum. Uh as Sam has described this library is apparently the pit from Batman Begins <laughs> which is like that's exactly what it looks like apparently like, it's a very accurate take. I do also... Wait, I have to ask. Did you mean Batman Begins or The Dark Knight Rises? Because both of those uh, movies do feature pits with a lot of bats was, in them. It was the latter, The Dark Knight Rises. Gotcha, okay. <laughs> yeah, the, the big step well. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, this is this is an enormous room uh, that has layers and layers and, and just shelves upon shelves of, of books. So it's it's quite the space, and Shalon is is mostly here just uh, helping Yasna retrieve various uh, various texts that she's looking for. Uh, but apparently, Shalon has also been uh, has kind of had some room to do some of her own uh, her own studies now. So that uh, that has been quite a lot of fun. Nice. She does. She does uh, bemoan the fact that most people can either write or draw, and can very rarely do both. To which I would say, Shalon, 
there's this series called Berserk. You really got to get into it. It's <laughs> just absolutely fantastic. But uh, yeah, she is uh, she is getting distracted by this this wonderful scholarship and has to kind of recenter herself on I am here to do a crime. Let's let's keep that in mind. Uh, and that's getting harder and harder to uh, to stay focused on uh, because there's there's so much scholarship to do. And there's so much bathing attendant duties to do as well. She has to wait for just the perfect moment. She can't possibly leave that. It's a very important post. So, yeah, it's a uh, it's it it is an interesting uh circumstance that she is in. Uh, it's very different than the one that uh Kaladin is dealing with. So, it's a uh, it's quite a contrast. So, Sh- Shalon has uh has kind of two uh two tasks here uh one is she is currently uh retrieving some uh some books for yasna uh this is something that it helps yasna because then she doesn't have to do it herself uh it also apparently helps shalon because we get some uh some world building here where the the filing system that has been devised for the palinam is apparently becoming popular as a kind of a standard so shalon is is learning her her library archiving systems here the other benefit is that in this enormous library that has has room for people going around everywhere and not running into each other shalon can get a moment of privacy to work on her other task uh, because stealing the soulcaster is only part of what the Devar family needs. They also need to be able to use it. And uh, especially with, uh, with Luesh out of the picture as well, that is a problem that needs solving. And so Shalon has been uh, doing some, some drawings of Yasna soul casting. And so she's going to be kind of studying these and seeing if there's anything that stands out that, that might help them actually use it. But uh, the there's, there's not a lot of information that she's been able to get. We get a little bit of information about essences, which I think have been like name dropped briefly, but now we start getting specific ones. And that's, uh, I, I hope we get the full breakdown at some point because there's a lot happening. Like vapor, probably tied to water. Spark, maybe like electricity. Lucentia, no fucking clue. Light is my best guess. And then you have mm-hmm. Zephyr and Talus. Zephyr, I assume, is like wind and air. And Talus, very grateful to have been playing uh, Tears of the Kingdom recently Hell because yeah. Talus is the name of the big rock monsters, and Talus is tied to stone and earth. And it's going to be easy for me to remember that because the, I see Talus and I'm like big rock. There you go. As I wrote in my notes, there's a bunch of elements. Shalan only cares about Talos because that's rocks. Because <laughs> that's the, the ones that uh, that they need to focus on. She does not need to make paper into fire. But that is cool. Not light paper on fire. Turn the paper into fire. That yeah. was weird. It's like it can't, ink surely is more efficient because if you're using fire, doesn't that risk the paper being set on fire? <laughs> It's tiny fire, just a little fire, as a tree. There's also the uh, the, the kind of casual maneuver of uh, 
turning the the glass of wine into a solid chunk of crystal and then just using it as a paperweight. Yeah. <laughs> She's just flexing at that point. <laughs> Apparently. But Shalon also says that a lot of these are moments that uh, Yasna has kind of lost track of things and probably forgotten that she's even there. I, I, I love that, like, the modernity of make Insta paperweight, though. Because often thought about how useful it would be to have telekinesis, if only so that I could have my clipboard floating next to me at work <laughs> and I have both hands free instead of being one-armed most of the time. Just these are the things I think about, so I feel seen by this. That's fair. Although, you know what I think when I think Yasna needs a paperweight to hold a paper down? I think, Yasna, your full-time job is looking at books. You know what books can do? <laughs> hold paper down. <laughs> what? Something else that uh, Shalon can do uh, with the, the privacy here it, deep in the, the Palinaeum is look at the the soulcaster itself uh, because she still has the the one that her family has she keeps it uh, in the the pouch in her sleeve and uh, is is kind of ready to make the swap if if she can and uh, she's she's giving this a good think as well the the one that they have it broke that was kind of the the origin of the problem and they had it physically repaired and she's looking over it again and, and trying to see, is there any way that you can tell that this was broken and now repaired? Uh, and it, it, it seems like they might be able to get away with that because it looks, it, it was very well done, uh, but it still doesn't work. And so that's, that's kind of the, the big, uh, the big issue at hand. She is uh, shortly interrupted though, does not, uh, is not able to to think about this this conflict of can I steal from from Yasna as I'm beginning to enjoy this position so much because uh, somebody is uh, somebody's approaching. It turns out to just be an, an ardent who is is walking nearby to find a book, uh, but Shalon you know almost jumps out of her skin and, and thinks I would be such a terrible thief as as she is so nervous at at just this. Uh, so she does get back to her her task. It's also, there's a minor detail, it's also a female ardent, which was just kind of like, a, oh, I didn't know that was allowed, because so far they've all been men, and I believe they're all, all the ones we've seen have been bald as well. Um, and so I was just kind of picturing monks for all of these. Um, so it's mentioned that it's female ardent. It's like, oh, cool, all right. The female ardents also, Justin, they also shave their heads, right? Am I making I that I don't up? remember. I do not remember. They better. It's discrimination if they don't. I'm sure we'll find <laughs> Where out. is the equality? Let's briefly digress here. To, to the, the copper, copper mind. To the copper mind. Yeah, I'll go too. Wait. <laughs> oh, no, no. No, no. We're, we're almost into the... Uh, we've got a couple more books to go before the copper mind's time machine works. Yeah, it's, it's really great. You can just set it to before an arbitrary book. And it will show you the copper mind at that point. But I think the earliest you can go is either just before or just after Words of Radiance. So we're not we're not quite there yet. It just says that many of them shave their heads. Yep. Many ardents have shaved heads and men often have long beards. But not the women. 
that's discrimination <laughs> so back in the the palinam uh shallan's task at hand is to go get a, a particular book this uh this political theory book called dialogues uh shallan has also noted uh, that one of the books that yasna was using before uh shadows remembered is also in this section and so she's gonna go uh, go take a peek and see because she's still trying to figure out what yasna is working on in particular so she finds this book to try to to get some info and it is a uh, a collection of children's stories which we've we've talked in this this chapter's epigraph about how or and and the previous one about how you you need to go to whatever sources you can find when necessary uh, but shallan finds this one to be a, a very unusual pick yeah it's basically scary stories to tell in the dark right which by the way was published in 1981 i didn't hmm. know it was that old I'm talking about Shadows Remembered, by the way. Shadows Remembered, 1981. 1981, got it. Okay. Actually, much more recent than I expected, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, she she asks herself what kind of truth could she find in stories told to frighten uh, children. Sazed would be so disappointed that you even asked, Shalon. <laughs> I wonder what Sazed would think of the Palinaeum. Oh, he'd be in heaven. Oh. And now I he think, is in heaven I, because I he's I was going to say, I think he is. <laughs> he's <yeah>. God. <laughs> He's like d double the god, twice the fun. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was a uh, uh, an, an unusual thing to find. But Shalon does have to uh, wrap up her tasks, and so heads back to uh, where Yasna was, uh, where they were going to meet, and and Shalon could hand off her work. Uh, Yasna has not arrived yet, uh, but we do have the uh, return of the familiar face of Brother Capsule who is, has stopped by again to uh, to try to to talk to Yasna again. And uh, Shalon is, is, she's not frustrated at this repeatedly happening, but she is at least raising an eyebrow at it of, you're, you're back again? You know, I don't think it, it's, it, it's not going well so far, but you know, you do you. And it's great that uh, apparently he feels ashamed that he was snooping, which is better than I thought it would be. Because I thought it was just like, oh, nobody gives a shit. You can look through possessions. You can break into fucking alcoves. <laughs> Doesn't matter. But apparently they at least feel shame that they're snooping. Yeah. And he slams the book closed. There's also a, a, a bit of a, a, a dance going on here of uh capsule is is back again to to try to talk to yasna again uh he has uh he has brought a a gift a basket of bread uh and shallan says i'm not sure if the bread is going to be that convincing you know maybe if you had some jam and he has some jam uh at uh at which point shallan says you know i have said that yasna does not like jam and yet you have brought bread and jam a number of times, a thing that I have mentioned that I like. So uh, Capsule says, yeah, I, it's, it's a bit obvious, isn't it? She's raising an eyebrow, all right. Twice in, in rapid succession. 
but uh yeah he uh he, he did bring jam he he shalon says you you must be afraid for my soul you know hanging out with yasna for so long and he says yes exactly that must be what it is but we do have bread and jam so let's eat hell yeah let's eat and talk about how dumb horoscopes are <laughs> it's called the barnum effect yeah yeah we have uh capsule is is uh talks about how apparently enjoying simberry jam which is what he's brought uh says something about a person uh he he says yeah people studied this you know you you work in the palinaeum for a while you read all sorts of interesting books including one called palettes of personality which he says yes is a real book that's the real title uh and uh says yes apparently your your choices in food and your preferences in flavors uh will tell you about uh, about who you are as a person and uh yeah sam you mentioned the uh the barnum effect which i believe is that where like you you can you can say this a description that is it feels very specific but is in fact very general and literally every person will say yes that sounds like me mm-hmm. it's the barnum effect and can i just for a brief moment tell the anecdote of how look guys i don't like astrology i'm gonna be upfront about that i think it's all a bunch of hullabaloo <laughs> and at one point i was talking to someone who's really into it and I wasn't trying to like ruin their day, but I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't really buy it. I, I just think that like you can just say anything that describes anything and, and that'll be it. And they say, well, what are you? And I go, I'm a Sagittarius. And the response was, oh, I wouldn't have thought you were a Sagittarius. And I go, yeah, that's because it's all bullshit. Yeah. It's all made up. <laughs> and then the response was, oh, well, now that you say that, I can definitely see it. And I'm like, fuck off. That's shut up. <laughs> <sighs> but, uh, yeah, some of the other things that Shalon has has heard can tell something about a person are the day she was born, or the position of Ton's scar when she was seven, or numerological extrapolations of the tenth glyphic paradigm, uh, and 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 she says, I think you know everyone's a little more complicated than that, and I do quite like Kevzel's reply of people are more complicated than the numerological extrapolation of the tenth glyphic paradigm. No wonder I can't understand women. <laughs> but uh yeah they they do get kind of directly to the uh the the barnum effect there where uh capsule says you know the book says you're spontaneous and sometimes you're spontaneous therefore it's right and you know because it's right about everyone at least a little bit of the time i like this whole interaction it's it, it very much feels like these two are on the same level of of sort of clever twisty wordplay it's just it's just enjoyable yeah yeah there's a a whole bunch of banter about uh you know shallan says i've nearly forgotten the outdoors because i've i've been in here for so long i think yasna lives off of dust and uh you know they 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 go back and forth at one point uh, Capsule says that uh, hyperbole is a real bastard to spell uh, and then apologizes to Shalon and to God. <laughs> yeah, Shalon is talking about uh, her her studies and her work here uh, and and says that uh, Yasna is 
isn't harsh. She's devoted. Uh, it also kind of you know, expounds for a bit on Yasna's many qualities. <laughs> Shalon girly, we weren't asking. <laughs> and and yeah, Capsule says, oh, you know, she's supposed to be quite the person, except for, you know, the heresy. But uh, and and it it kind of comes back to to Earth a bit because Shalon is saying it, it's not like Yasna is is trying to to preach to me or convert me and capsule seems to be genuinely concerned about the about shallan's shallan's soul for lack of a better term about her her standing in the the greater world wants to wants to make sure that he's doing what what he can and it's so interesting to see this after the chat that Yasna had with uh, Teravangian, where she was sort of just laying out why she believes what she believes and, like, makes a specific point to say, I'm not trying to convert you. You asked, I answered, I'm happy to leave it at that. To contrast that with this popular perception of, like, she must be corrupting your mind, this this evil heretic. I, I like that we got the other one first. Capsule does have a, uh, a a more direct proposal as well, uh, which is you should consider. He suggests that uh, that she could uh, should could join his devotery, which we've we've seen these kind of like subdivisions within the the church structure, uh, and and she says well, I've I've already committed to the devotery devotery of purity, uh, and and he says well you know you can you can switch. And and she says, well, you're not, I, I thought you weren't supposed to recruit people. And he says, yeah, but we do. So I might as well try. It's funny that her dad picked the devotery of purity. It's a, it's a weird, complex word. Um, did he pick it for the whole family? The whole shitty, terrible, <laughs> uh, abusive, uh, 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 misguided, to put yeah. mildly, family? <laughs> Yeah, the, those those bastions of purity, the Devar family, <laughs> all of them just normal, normal, cool people. Yeah, with a family crest that really should say "Lie, cheat, steal." <laughs> and and we do get some uh, some expansion on uh, both the the devotees and also the uh, the idea of the calling, uh, which we uh we heard previously with uh, with Adolin and his dueling uh but now we hear more of a uh an explanation from someone who knows a bit more about it which is is nice to see i also like that uh that capsule has a an opinion on um you know maybe if if this had happened earlier for yasna where he points out that uh, some of the devotees tend to to push women away from studying, you know, the the kind of deep and complex theology, uh, and and leave that study to to the men, uh, and and he says, you know, that's that's a real shame. If we had, you know, if if someone like Yasno Kolin, someone that intelligent and that insightful, could study the things that we are. That would be good for us and good for her, he thinks. 
and that it's a shame that that uh, maybe she was pushed away from that. And I, I like that uh, that kind of look back that he has. It's the devotory of insight. I found it. There we go. Okay. <laughs> as uh, as Cabsel is is talking about how he the, the things that he wishes he could have uh, or or still wants to show Yasna. Uh, he says that he has a a proof uh, of the existence of the Almighty that he wants to to demonstrate, and Yasna is still not here yet, uh, but Shalon is intrigued and, and says, "Well, I'd I'd like to see uh, what uh, what this is," and, and says, "You know, I'm not doubting, but I am curious to see what uh, what kind of of evidence uh, you have." So, so he has some some things to show. Uh, the first thing that he has is a full page illustration, uh, which <laughs> hey. is is the uh, the one that was at the beginning of this chapter. Uh, and in fact, if you uh, read the the writing next to the drawings of the cities, it is signed at the bottom, the scholar capsule. Yeah. So, so there you go. This is like the first time we've gotten a full page illustration that is directly relevant to the chapter it is next to. Usually so, there's yeah. like a little bit of, of delay. Lag, yeah. <laughs> and the the beginning of his his point is that uh, you know, we're looking at these four cities uh, and they are incredibly uh, incredibly symmetrical, incredibly well structured. Uh, you know, because of the the influence of a designer, uh, and and Shalon says, "Well, yes, they are cities that were designed by people, and they liked symmetry." Uh, and and Capsule's response is, "But these were built in existing places with with you know rock formations and structures on the ground, and the 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 place itself was symmetrical and designed this way." And Shalon is is still a bit dubious of this, uh, but Cabsol has a another part of this demonstration, uh, which he's quite prepared for. He has like a, a whole uh, array of of uh, objects to aid in this demonstration, and this particular one is a uh, a a metal plate that he he puts uh, some some fine sand on. Uh, and then he he has a bow, like a, a violin bow, and he bows the the plate, and as it vibrates, it uh, it it makes a pattern uh, in the sand. And as uh, as it's as he finishes this this first demonstration, it is a pretty exact copy of the the layout of the city of Kolinar. He then. Uh, demonstrates with a couple of other uh, of other notes of other patterns uh, the the rest of the cities and and he says you know you can see this is a this is a, a physical thing that that happens in the world and it's reflected all across our world in these you know the, these huge cities these uh, these you know enormous rock formations uh, because of the way that that you know this is designed and how the the elegance of the almighty is reflected in all these things and i just want to say regardless of whether or not you think it's a sign that god exists cymatics is real and it's cool as hell it is very cool mm -hmm. it's real yep it's real oh yeah 
yeah you can uh you can you can do this you can do this like exactly like he did it with a bow uh you can also do it just by mounting the the plate onto a speaker and then playing various waveforms you can get some very cool patterns yeah and uh and beth enjoy the rest of your day looking at youtube videos of cymatics (laughs) yeah (laughs) i will have to go to work later i hope i make it on time i have to be there by 6 (laughs) p.m i'll be busy all day and Shalani isn't like she's not sure she she's not convinced but she is intrigued by this you know she says there is a there is something very compelling about looking at this there's a a whole thing that that capsule talks about how there there are elements of symmetry in all of these these kind of layers of the world uh, where you have the uh, the the language that they that they speak, uh, it uh, you know its written form is symmetrical. It was inspired by the Dawn Singers. Uh, you have names that are symmetrical or close to symmetrical in some cases, and uh, you know it's it's something that that he sees all throughout the world. We have a uh, another interruption. This one is is not quite as dramatic as robbers at the door, uh, but shortly after here, Yasuna does return, and Capsule uh, is Capsule uh, is trying to uh, kind of get out of the way. Shalon is is you know, apologizing, and and Yasuna says, "Well, you didn't do anything wrong. You're allowed to have visitors and and talk with people. You know that's that's fine." Not sure I'm a huge fan of this one, but you know. <laughs> and I like that she instantly, instantly recognizes what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. She, she has uh, she has opinions on this demonstration. It seems like a thing that, yeah, to Sam's point, she's very familiar with. Uh, and her question is, uh, can you show me your Ethereum? You you can do the the usual four cities, of course, but how about your Ethereum? that one's missing uh and, and he says well of course because your theory is a myth it doesn't exist so i i can't i can't show you a non-existent city and and she says well you have lots of practice with things that don't exist at which point he gets frustrated and leaves i gotta say what a wuss well okay there's a couple things happening here because one capsule has been like itching to get a meeting with Yasna since the beginning. And I don't know if this is like him giving up, but like he finally has his chance. And like, I know she's probably going to say, I don't want to talk to you right now, but he doesn't even try. He's like, Oh, Yasna's <laughs> here. I guess I'll leave now. It's like, bye purported. Like, yes, I know there's like flirtation and stuff happening, but purportedly the only reason you're hanging out with Shalon is so that you can talk to Yasna and Yasna shows up and he goes, all right, I'm out. Like, dude, what are you doing? But then on the other hand, it's like, yeah, if I said, hey, look at all these underground networks and they're identical between New York and Chicago and Los Angeles and all of these cities, and then someone came in and been like, well, yeah, but does it match up with the fallen city of Troy? I'd be like, I, no, that's a different thing. That's not that's not the same thing. Like, Yasuna's been a very good debater up until now, and this counterexample is, like, really just comes out of nowhere. It's like, no, that's not... That's, that's that's a completely separate thing. Yeah, it's 
it's interesting because I'm I'm not sure because uh, the thing that Yasna says right after as Shalon says, you know, that was really rude. Uh, and it sounds like Yasna is kind of playing this up of, you know, she has a reputation as, you know, the 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 famed heretic and is is kind of giving Capsule what he came looking for. Um, but also was really rude about it. So you know, it, it's 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 not great. Also, I'm realizing if Earth Hero is a myth, I'm guessing we don't have a map of it. Which means conceivably, maybe you could make it with cymatics. We just wouldn't know. <laughs> he just plays a random note. It's like here, there, there it there is. There it is. Prove me wrong. A featherless biped. <laughs> but uh, a uh, a a kind of rapid series of twists here at the end of the the chapter, at least for Shalon, uh, when uh, you know. Yasna is, as much as she may be playing this up, it does seem that she is fairly upset at at Capsule. Uh, you know, says, "No, he was. Oh, of course not. He was just trying to turn my ward against me." And and Shalon, who has been enjoying her conversations with Capsule, is objects to that. Uh, and and Yasna goes right into, "Well, has he told you to steal my Soulcaster yet?" Which is a. Uh, a, a big uh, a big scary moment there for Shalon because Yasta's wrong. No. Yeah, he yeah. hasn't. <laughs> but that's a little too close for comfort there. It just it mm. it feels like the reaction is just the metal gear solid like exclamation point appearing yeah. over her head. <laughs> See if Yasna had any experience in this at all, she would recognize now I have a fucking patsy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was going to save that for theory section, but, like, yeah, well, it's yeah. very easy to now blame a stolen Soulcaster on someone who Yasna <laughs> thinks is trying to steal the Soulcaster. Mm-hmm. Yep. I've got that in theories, too. We'll get to nice. it. Nice. <laughs> but, yeah, as we, uh, as, as we conclude the chapter, uh, you know, Shalon calms down for a moment, says, answer the question that, that Yasna asked. No, he hasn't. He has not asked to steal the Soulcaster. Uh, and, and Yasna just says, yeah, he will. I, I have experience. Uh, and uh, it's, it, it's, it's a, a line that, like, from a person who we didn't like would be incredibly rude. Uh, but uh, Yasna says, you know, this, this isn't about you. It's not about your soul. It's about me. And, and Shalon says, that seems awfully arrogant. And, and, the chapter concludes with Yasna saying, only if I'm wrong, and I'm usually not wrong. Heading back to uh, Kaladin for our last two chapters of the section, which are both kind of linked. Uh, we have a we have a connection that's made not from the chapter Cymatics to the chapter Stormwall, but from Cymatics to our epigraph here. Uh, which does mention Eurytheru. The the quote is is just the phrase, "I walked from Abamabar to Eurytheru," uh, and then there's a there's a, a bunch of notes on this that say uh, these two other sources say that Eurytheru was inaccessible by foot. So either they're wrong, or Noadon was being metaphorical when talking about walking to Eurytheru. So I, it's Noadon, interesting to say? see. Hmm? 
I, I did say Noadon. Noadon, you say? I did. <laughs> it's a name we've heard before. Hmm. Wow. It also just wow. says in the epigraph, that's from The Way of Kings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think it's cool to see the the ratio of uh, quote to annotation here, where it's like this is this is just one line. It's probably like the beginning of a paragraph, and the notes here are like here's here's two other sources. Here's what I'm trying to figure out from this one line. Yeah, if if I had something like this in my thesis, my advisor, who was a very frank person would have, uh, you know, if I turned in a draft that had this on it, she would circle it in red and say, take this bullshit out. <laughs> because, like, if I say, uh, you know, I hiked up Pike's Peak, uh, I don't have to clarify that part of it involved rock climbing. Like, <laughs> it, it's just implied. Like, whatever. I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, okay, I guess this is a point and it will be true or whatever but like it you know there's metaphorical and there's just like shorthand like i don't want to describe in six paragraphs how i got there i just right. got there <laughs> yeah i i walked 98 percent of the way and then i climbed a ladder at the end <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i think that's a very valid point of like a lot of these epigraphs are starting to reach. Like they're they're really digging the bottom of the barrel here in terms of trying to figure out what they're trying to figure out. Um, yeah, I, I think this is a very clear example of that. So into uh, the the aftermath of Kaladin's uh, bridge uh, of his attempt at a a, a new idea, uh, he is in a significant amount of pain. Uh, Sill very helpfully tells him to don't be hurt anymore, which he's trying his best. <laughs> and uh, he has he has been strung up. He is dangling from the uh, the the side of the barracks uh, by his feet, and he's still in pretty bad shape, uh, even at the start of this scene. And uh, it's gonna get. Uh, quite uh quite a bit worse uh sam's notes are quite clear he is strung up to face the high storm and get fucking iced and die and eat shit <laughs> yeah. getting iced means something very different today's <laughs> day and age remember the plan of hey we can't make an example of kaladin because then he'll become a martyr fuck that let's string him up <laughs> well he's he's definitely gonna die right yeah. Nobody nobody could survive Definitely. this. No. Nobody. But uh yeah, Sill is is filling Kaladin in on the gaps here. Uh he was he was beaten quite badly. Uh don't worry though, Sill got them back. She made them trip three times. <laughs> but uh Sill says uh, a, a bunch of people were demoted. Uh Lamoral has just been executed. So that's done, I guess. And yeah. Uh, yeah, that that whole thing about how Kaladin said, at least I can tell them that it wasn't your fault. Well, he was unconscious and Lamoral didn't have anyone to corroborate his story that it wasn't his idea. So he's dead. <laughs> Whoops. Oops. Mm. 
Yeah, I feel like he was probably dead anyway. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> yeah, w would Keldon have been able to convince Sadius or whoever else was in charge to do anything else? Not likely. This army sucks. <laughs> yeah. But uh yeah, this is this is kind of the the end of the situation here uh is Kaladin is to be judged by the storm, as as they put it. Uh, he says it is possible to survive out in the high storm. You know, he's he's done it before in the army. It's unpleasant, and you have to prepare the right way. You have to you know find a good rock shelter. Uh, but he is on a, an empty wall facing the storm with nothing there to protect him. And it, it's almost certain death, this, this kind of a punishment. Now that he is, uh, is conscious, though, uh, Syl goes off to, to get the rest of the, the bridge crew, because she can, she can go do that. She can tell Rock, at least. And, uh, yeah, we get Rock and Teft, of course, uh, and Moash, who have, have come to see uh, what's happening. And Kaladin is is barely conscious, wants to know what happened. Uh, and we hear the, the rest of the report, which is total disaster, 200-some bridgemen dead, uh, a good chunk of the army too, although we don't have any, any details on, on that. And uh, Rock is, is here to, to say his goodbyes. You know, he says, I, we've been talking on the bridge crew, Wanted to say a few things, and uh, they're like they're good things. This is a this is a, a a moment of some hope in this bleak situation, where Rock says, "You know, we're going to we're, we're going to keep this going, even even after you're gone. We're going to keep the the stew and the fire. We'll we'll keep we'll we'll, we'll keep Bridge for what it is." I like to picture Rock like clearing his like we have something we want to say, and then taking out a piece of paper and like like a folded <laughs> piece of paper and unfolding it and clearing his throat, and then reading this very short <laughs> statement. Yeah, and then folding the paper back up neatly, putting it One back in his pocket. One person smudged. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and in particular, Rock doing this because we've established he's like seven feet tall and you know this big burly guy. He's like, I I have a message from everyone. But yeah, no, I mean it's. Hang like, on, let me get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so glad I had a piece of paper on my desk. <laughs> like we've we've read the we've read two chapters here, so we do know some of these these details, and we can't like we can't dance around at least at least the immediate aftermath of this. Kaladin does survive. Like we do know this. So. But uh, yeah, it like it, it's good to see Bridge Four saying saying what they can to say their goodbyes. Uh, e even if you know we saw in the last chapter where where Kaladin was talking about how at least then you'd be rid of me, and and they said, well, we don't want to be rid of you. So it, it, it's quite a change from where Bridge Four started. Kaladin then tells his friends, "Tell everyone else." I am literally Kelsier. Just just do the Kelsier speech. Literally the same thing. 
<laughs> I'll have what he's having. I'll have what he's having. Yeah, you know, he, he says, you know, this is what's going to happen after the storm. You're going to bring the bridge crew out. You're going to have them look at me and I'm going to be, I'm going to have survived. And it's a, uh, it, it, it's a, a very dramatic scene and it is one that does feel a lot like something Kelsier would say. And uh, they, they go back inside um, and he, he kind of goes back over that with, with Syl and, uh, and, and says, and, and Syl says, you know, what if you don't survive? And, and Cal is, is thinking about gambling and how, you know, it, it didn't take that long after he left home to, to, in the army to start learning to, to gamble and just doing it to pass the time. And he's, he's, he's gone all in here or rather in for all. Yeah. All in is trademarked. Can't exactly. Say that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as he, as he puts it, if he does die, that's what everyone already expects. So they, they come out, they see that he's died. They, they feel terrible about it. And, you know, life goes on. That's how it was going to go. But if he does live, then then we've got something quite different. So he's he's made this bet, and uh, as uh, he's just kind of like going through his his final thoughts as he can see the storm approaching. We'll see if he can get a queen in breakneck. <laughs> yeah. Mm that game that is definitely not gambling because they are absolutely not betting on the future, but merely on the present that they do not know about yet. Of course. <laughs> and then bam. And then the storm wall hits. <laughs> I will say I'm kind of shocked. Like it has been a, a growing trend in this book of Brandon asking so many questions and refusing to answer any of them. I was kind of shocked we got a Kaladin chapter right away because if I was Brandon, I would have like left on the storm hits and then I'm gone to like four straight Shallan chapters before <laughs> we check back in with them. It was it was very interesting to place episode chapter breaks around this section uh, because it, and actually looking forward, uh, the next chapter that we did not read uh, is also a pretty notable one. So it was do I do I cut it? after chapter 36 do i cut it before that which is where i did or do i cut it right here with the storm the storm starting and and then we go to another episode so there were there were choices to be made there you picked a nicer option i was gonna say i have no idea what 36 (laughs) is well i mean i think you picked correctly because i have no idea about 36 but I'm pretty sure Sam and I were both confident that Kaladin was going to survive. So, like, I don't think it would have been the biggest cliffhanger in the world. I'm I'm glad that we got the breakdown we did. We've been great, though. For the rest of the book, it's just like, uh, you know, it's a Kaladin chapter. And then it's just like 30 blank pages in a row. Because he's dead. <laughs> and then it goes back to... You know. It would be really embarrassing if we were to like end on some kind of cliffhanger and I just assume that the character is dead, even though the character definitely is confirmed to have survived in the very next chapter. I would, I would hate for that to ever happen to me. It would make you feel very silly about it. 
Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, let's let's go to this next chapter. Uh, we do have to divert again for for an epigraph. Uh, we're talking more about Eurythiru uh, and how uh, many wanted it to be built in Alethala, but it it could not be, and it was built uh, in the place nearest to honor. Uh, this is apparently the one of the oldest surviving mentions of of Eurythiru. We also, because Brandon hates me, um, get uh, four faces that are all the same in this chapter, which is the first time in a long time that's happened. But it is the king, Yezrien slash Yezreze slash Stormfather, maybe, because it's storm time, baby. I'm asking for <laughs> consistency, please. I need, I just need to know the rules. <laughs> so, yeah, this is, uh, this is a direct high storm experienced by someone in it in the worst circumstance and i'm i'm going to get this out of the way because it is frustratingly accurate for a chapter that does have a lot of of weight to it after reading this chapter sam posted a, a clip from king of the hill of <laughs> he's now helpfully reposted it of hank hill in a hurricane <laughs> naked holding onto a telephone pole <laughs> it's all a good picture because yeah this is uh i say this so often during Kaladin chapters this is the worst <laughs> he's having a bad time bad time he is he's being literally like blown around by this rope tied to his his feet uh as he is, as he's being thrown around in the storm, uh, he can still barely hear Syl, and and she tells him to to hold on to the roof, which he does. He does manage to do. He gets himself onto the roof, holding onto the the ring that the rope is tied to, so is at least not being whipped around and slammed into the wall, but is 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 trying to just kind of head off an entire hurricane there hanging on the roof i took very little notes before the line break i was just reading i really enjoyed this bit yeah no it's 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 a really vivid scene there's a moment here that is one of my favorite visual scenes in this whole book uh which is sill standing in front of him on the roof trying to push the storm around him it's so cool yeah it was really sweet in the uh in the middle of this storm he sees something even more uh even more out there than everything he's already experiencing because there's a there's a moment of the storm suddenly going quiet when he may he, he's also you know been slammed against the wall and, and doesn't quite know what he's seeing uh, but yeah, there's, there's suddenly no wind, no rain, sees this, this enormous face in the dark. Uh, there's a moment where the, the single sphere that Teft had given him before the storm hit, uh, is now, uh, suddenly full of light and then it's right back to the storm. And then he does get knocked unconscious. To wrap up the chapter, though, 
as Kaladin is now unconscious, uh, we have a Teft POV. And I, I appreciate old man Teft POV, where he's his, <laughs> uh, very slowly getting, getting up the next morning. His, his knees hurt because there was a storm. And it's, it's hard to decide. Does he, does he want to actually go out and look? Because before he goes out and looks, he can maybe imagine that, that Cal is alive. But if he does go out and look, he's definitely going to be dead. And that will be the, the end of that. And, and he does. And it, it's not a good sight. The, the, the comparison is a, a hunk of slaughterhouse meat. So it's, it's one step even further down for, for Cal. And then his eyes open. And we we don't get much past the end of, of just that moment, but it, it is, it is a hell of a moment. Uh, it, it is compounded by, uh, as, as Teft puts it, a second impossibility. Cause not only do we have a man who's alive when he should be dead, uh, but the sphere that, that he had given Cal is completely empty, even right after the storm. And so, two impossibilities that together mean one more thing that should be even more impossible. Uh, and as, as I, I think Teft speaks for, for several of us here uh, when he says, you'd better survive because I want some answers. Brandon. <laughs> He's never going to answer it, Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> the book's just going to move on. <laughs> this is never brought up again. He survives, and then he never uses spheres again. Tef POV is uh, yet another thing that the Oracle did not predict. I'm so excited to get all these little tidbits of other people. <laughs> We're going to get a human POV before the end of the book. But it's only going to be 12 words long. <laughs> so, yeah, we do... We don't end on the, the, the cliffhanger directly before the storm, but we still do end with only the knowledge that Kaladin has survived and we'll have to figure out where we, we even go from here. Uh, because the, yeah, to Teft's point, there are a lot of, uh, a lot of questions to answer here. Some of which we have already had, I think, but maybe we'll actually get someone on page to ask and or answer them. With our reading wrapped up, uh, we have some other things to do. Uh, I have a feeling that the the theorizing section may be the the much more interesting one. I'm also going to be honest, it's been a little bit since we've recorded and there's been a lot that's happened in the meantime. I do not remember at all what we're adding to our cast list, but I believe it's very small, if anything. So I, I want to <laughs> check in on that, see if we're also going to to backfill anyone who we've seen more of this time around. And then we'll get on to, to figuring out what happens next. Yes. There is only one new character, which is Lopen. I'm pretty sure. Lopen is, is definitely a, a notable one that we need to uh, we need to put in there. I'm going to put him on the sheet as yep. the Lopen, just to be sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, Sam, if you want to uh, get through that, and then we'll see Caleb's Lopen as well, and then onwards. Yeah. First, I want to tell you about a very exciting journey I went on to get the right casting for this person. Okay. Um, 
which I already said in the group chat, but I'm going to say it here too. Um, Liren, this section made me want to cast him better. And I did. Okay. Um, but when I was thinking of like who is right for him, I pictured an actor, but I couldn't remember the actor's name for the life of me, and I don't remember a single movie he was in at all. Um, <laughs> but he looks kind of like an actor whose name I do know, whose name is Michael Gross. Uh, and so I was going to say, fuck it, Michael Gross. But Michael Gross doesn't quite fit because he's got, you know, he's just got a different kind of vibe than this person. He's less, like, laid he's back. He's Tremors guy. He is the Tremors guy. So he's got that <laughs> Tremors energy, right? And Liren doesn't have Yeah, he, he brings a Tremors energy to the table, yeah. Yeah. Um... So I, I pictured an actor who looked kind of like Michael Gross, but you can't just search on Google actors who look like Michael Gross because that's weird, <laughs> and it's not going to come up with anything. <laughs> so I remember this guy also, or I thought I remembered, this guy also played Alfred, uh, like Batman Alfred. Um, but it turns out I was wrong about the actor that I thought he played Alfred because it was a different actor who also looks like Michael Gross who played Alfred, uh, whose name is Michael <laughs> Go. Uh, who played Alfred in the uh, Tim Burton Batman movies. Um, uh, so he's not the actor that I thought played Alfred, but this actor also played Alfred in a very recent like show. And his picture was there, and I was like, holy shit, I figured it out. Uh, so anyway, I'm really, I, I'm really with this casting. It's James Cromwell. I'm going with James Cromwell. James Cromwell played Alfred. Uh, he 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 voice acted Alfred on a very recent, like a very bat ah. Christmas thing or something that oh, just came okay. out. Cool on Prime, I think. Um. So, yeah. So uh, James Cromwell Valerian, yay. Okay. Um, and then obviously we've got the Lopen. Just his energy, I don't know why. And I picture his voice sounding like this guy's voice. I went with Jim Croce. <laughs> uh. The guy who has written at least three biographical songs about thugs. Um, Bad, Bad Leroy Brown and a couple others. Uh, so um, that's who I picture, <laughs> even though it's nonsense and he's a singer and he might already be dead. I don't know. Um, yeah, he died in 1973 at the age of 30. Oh, geez. Well, okay. He I, uh, you know, still... I, I get the vibe, though. Like, looking at his, his picture, I get the vibe with Lopin. Yeah, and, and his voice, too. is Like, I just picture Lopin's voice as being his voice. Okay. So there you go. There we go. Now, Caleb, you did say that this may be the mythical only one cast episode, but I'm also not putting it past you to have also cast someone else, so I am going to double check. How many are you adding to the list? Yeah, Justin, a lot of times you'll say, I don't think we had anyone to add this week, or we only have one person to add this week. And frequently, I'll come up with some minor character that I've also cast. Teft, you may add another impossibility to the list, because I indeed <gasps> only have one person to cast, and okay. that is Lopen. Okay. My gosh. Um, and I went with Eugenio Derbez. He was in Coda. That's... That's all I've got. It feels weird for for me to just say like that's it. I'm done. Like that's that feels off. The energy, the vibes are are off now. But yeah, that's all I've got for casting. Okay. 
yeah, we will, uh, we'll see. Uh, I haven't looked ahead yet to our next episode uh, to see how much the, uh, the cast list will expand. We are like more than halfway through this book at this point. So you would think that things would start to, to slow down. Oh, you would think, but we all read Elantris. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but yeah, I think the, uh, the the much more interesting part is going to to figure out where we go from here. Uh, we did have a uh, a couple of of payoffs. Uh, I believe it was two episodes ago, uh, where Sam, you had the very specific string of uh, Kaladin's actions trying to improve Bridge Four will backfire while he is doing something to try to protect his men, and Sadius will string him up in the storm for this. So that just all happened. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that happened. Huge dose. Yeah. Woo. Um, we, we saw something unusual happen with the, uh, the sphere. Uh, and Teft certainly has questions. We don't quite have answers yet. But that was, uh, that was something that Caleb, you, you mentioned something in that vein. Uh, but I don't know if we've actually seen what actually happened there yet. So between what has just happened to Cal and then maybe uh, the, the changes to Shalon's story as well. Uh, we can, we can start with Sam and see what, uh, what's coming up next. Mm, I've only got a couple, but I'm proud of this couple. Okay. So we'll, we'll get, we'll get through it. Here we go. Uh, so a, a review. Yes. Cal's still alive. The sphere was bright, but isn't bright. So it's something with the spheres. Uh, someone will connect the dots here eventually. I don't know. We'll see. Shalon now has a patsy for the Soulcaster robbery uh, of Capsule, but she thinks for some reason that this is a bad thing, uh, which is interesting uh, because she's a bad thief. <laughs> so I think when she steals it, Capsule's going to get fingered and executed, maybe? Uh, it's a little harsh here, but I'm going with it. Uh, and Shalon's going to be real regretful. They they have mentioned, like, when she's talking to her family, that if they get caught for this, they're probably going to get killed. So, eh, it's on the table. I mean, people will get the killing out of their system, right? It's, it's, like, uh, it's like if you, you know, someone's not guilty of a murder and they execute him, and then the murderer is like, okay, I guess I'm free now. Like, the real <laughs> one. It's great. I love society. Uh... Here's a new one. Um, speaking of loving society. Uh, so we've learned today that Yasna Soulcaster is tuned to three things. Uh, we've learned today that Shalan really wants to know how the hell a Soulcaster works. So I think at some point Shalan's going to say after a hard day of scholarship where Yasna maybe is just running into a brick wall and not able to get past it and getting frustrated or whatever. Shalan's going to be like, hey, show me what these mean. Um, and Yasna's gonna go, oh, yeah, yeah, you want me to show you what those mean? You want me to show you how to fucking use a Soulcaster? How about this shit? And then we're gonna see her be a categorically shitty person, as all Alethi nobility are, because it's gonna happen, and she's gonna fucking turn, like, she, she's gonna fuck some people up with a Soulcaster. And then Shalon's gonna go, oh, this is a shitty person. Oh, my God. This whole time. Maybe this she'll be whole surprised. damn time. This whole damn time. 
She was a terraceman. Uh, anyway, yeah. Um, in short, I'm standing pat on my little prediction thingies. I think the cow one is out of steam. Like, it's happened. So I don't know what's going to happen next. That's fair. Um, very uncharacteristically, I'm a little disappointed that Cal's newfound power appears to be the same as Zeth's power. Um, because it's something to do with the spheres. I thought it would be like he was infused because he's a special boy. Um, and I'm rarely a fan of the he's a special boy trope, but I kind of wish Brandon went that way and I don't know why. I, some kind of psychological trick on me. I don't know. <laughs> and then I have one that is inspired by a YouTube comment under a video uh, of somebody playing Pajama Sam, No Need to Hide When It's Dark Outside. What a quality video game. Yes. Is that is that perhaps a video of uh, someone training AI to play Pajama Sam? Uh, it is. When it's dark outside? God, that's so, that video is so good. I love that. That oh, was so, so good. <laughs> yeah. For those wondering, it's Doug Doug who plays... Uh, pajama sam but he has an ai do all the actions and it's great uh to give you a little bit of review of it um the ai slowly drives itself crazy multiple times because it sees what it itself has said and goes oh that's cool i'm gonna riff off that now and it just gets weirder and weirder and it's great great video um but there's a YouTube comment under it uh, in which somebody points out that the only person who provides his actual name and says, my name is, is Sam. And in this mythical world, uh, everybody else says, you know, you can call me or whatever. Or people yeah, call me this. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, including a cart named Mud and a well that goes through a million different names. And one of them is Exogomper. <laughs> Um, and the theory that this YouTube comment had was faithful can't give their true names or they'll be owned by the person who knows it. Legendarily, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Brandon went off that. Maybe Syl's not her real name and she's actually someone else. I don't know. I don't know what I'm predicting, but that's what I'm predicting. <laughs> I, I don't know what she is. Stand by. And okay. I'm also going to remember that I said this so I can actually pay attention to it. Because I might forget. Her okay. real name is High Demon Elgram, actually. Yes, with a fuel hammer. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, we'll, that one I think we, we will have to keep a, a somewhat longer view on to see if we see anything about that. All right. Uh, does that uh, wrap it up for this episode for you? Yeah, that's it and that's all. Okay. We will we'll see where that goes. Uh, for Caleb, how about you? Um, I I've I've got a few like assorted thoughts. They're not quite theories, and then we're gonna go into theories. I don't think I have a ton, but I always say that, and so no promises. <laughs> um, one is just a thing. I was looking back at previous chapters because I was trying to figure out what to post for the Instagram uh, uh thing. And uh, I found a point where Dalinar and Sadius are talking and um, Dalinar's like, well, you should be willing to do anything that you want all of your the people below you to do. And Sadius goes, well, I wouldn't cut ditches. Um, and that was like 15 chapters before Dalinar does in fact do that, which I thought was really cool foreshadowing um, that I had not picked up on before. Random thought of like, 
I'm not saying they should, but why aren't they using Parchman as bridge crews? Because it's very clear that the people of this world don't really see Parchman as people, but they can carry things around. That's like their main job. So I'm just curious why don't why they don't even attempt to do that. Um, also, what's going on with the Parchman? What's going on with the fucking Parshendi Brandon? Um, I don't know. We'll see. Um, Kaladin sees a face in the storm. I hope that's like a singular moment of him awakening his powers or something. I really hope it's not um, like every storm is sentient and has the spirit of Yezrin within it directing it. Because I, I don't know. feels very Dead Space 3 to me of like, hey, here's this terrifying thing. But it's also really big and that makes it automatically scarier, right? Big thing is scary. Um... <laughs> And, I don't know, I just think it's kind of silly sometimes. Um, uh, there's a moment during the bridge run where um, Kaladin notes it feels like he was pulling the bridge behind him, which um, does sound like lashing. I do think he's probably, uh, like Sam said, uh, getting the same or similar powers to Zeth, uh, which I'm excited to see. Um it was a prediction I had significantly earlier of Capsule might be here to steal the Soulcaster. And now we've run into that weird moment of like, well, now a character has brought it up, which seems like it makes it way less likely that it will actually happen and that it is just the setup for Capsule will be the fall guy. Um, but I also am not forgetting the time that Vin said that I thought, hey, I think the deepness might be the mist. And then Vince said, hey, I think the deepness might be the mist. And Sazed said, yeah, maybe, but probably not. And then like 10 chapters later, it's like, yeah, no, yeah, she was right. That's that's what it is. <laughs> so I, I know it's not always as simple as a character suggests this, so therefore it's not true. So I don't know. I think it'd be, I think we are going to get the weird moral dilemma of Shalon going, well, should I blame it on Capsule or not? I think it would also be interesting of like after she makes that decision and my assumption is she will not make him the fall guy because she's got a little crush on him. Um, the reveal that, oh yeah, but also he, Yasna was right. He is there to steal it. Um, I think that would be kind of a fun um, twist and reverse twist. Mm -hmm. um, so that's all I have on the main storyline. And then we have the everlasting question. What the fuck's going on with these epigraphs? because <laughs> um, now I think Sam and I are both on the same page of like these are very very likely Yasna's notes I, I think we all we, we do think that for part three but what's what, what's she up to man what's she doing um, and what are what do these things possibly mean so I went through the text a little bit to get some guesses going um, they lived high atop a place no man could reach but all could visit the tower itself crafted by the hands of no man hey the tower city that sounds kind of like a, a tower. Um, and also, I guess if it's like actually the size of an entire city, it could like refer to the, the Shattered Plains as a whole. But like the tower sounds like the tower with the capital T. Um, it's mentioned that that is from three centuries after Recreants, which I think is when the Knights Radiant went rogue. It's We haven't talked a lot about the Recreants, but I think that's what that refers to. Um, so then I got this little stew going of, of, all right, maybe the, you know, building off my previous theory about the Radiance and the Parshendi, um, maybe we're building towards this of like, and the Tower was Erethiru, it all checks out. And then we get to one that says, um, many wished for Erethiru to be built in Alethala, um, but it could not be, it was asked to be placed westward in the place nearest to honor. Um, 
And we also get mention of the Dawn Chant that Yasna wants to translate. And who do we know who likes chanting? Um, the Parshendi. But then they said they want to be moved westward, and it's not in uh, where you think it would be. The Shadow Plains are pretty far east, so if it got moved westward, that doesn't make sense. But also, I remember the time that I talked about where I thought what I thought was going on with the Well of Ascension, and you guys fucking gaslit me and tried to tell me I was wrong. And it turned out I was 100% right. And sometimes maps and directions from olden times are not particularly reliable. Um, there's, you know, the idea that all this information is being passed down secondhand and thirdhand. There's a chance that East is a typo, not on Brandon's part, but on some historian's part um, of it was not actually moved West. Um, also worth noting, I mean, it's further East, but it's worth noting that if we look back at the Silver Kingdom's map, um, the Shattered Plains are in the territory of Natan Natan, not in the territory of Alethala. Um, and it's also worth mentioning that the Silver Kingdom's map does not have a rose compass, and the modern one uses Stormward and Leeward instead of East and West. Now, the characters have referred to East and West in the, in the corresponding directions, but given that the directions seem more tied to the storms than to, like, the North Pole and South Pole, is there a chance that the directions have changed over time and what these texts are referring to West no longer actually refers to West? Um, and then to build off of that in terms of like, where was Uruthiru? There's like, so far in the book, I'm not saying this will remain true, but so far in the book, there's not a lot happening westward. I mean, like there's things happening. We've gotten glimpses of Pure Lake and of Erie and of Shinovar, but in terms of like, what's west and would be closest to honor i don't know it could be you know, it could be the mountains of shinovar it could be the horn eater peaks which also are not technically in alethala if we're looking at that map so if they're just talking about getting up really high i guess it could be that but i don't know it just doesn't it doesn't check out for me so my gut is telling me the westward thing is a little bit of a misdirect and that's um the tower that they're reading about in these um fables and texts is in fact referring to the shattered plains where all this shit is already going down and yeah i don't know i'm 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 not getting enough evidence that i feel confident in it but i'm getting enough evidence to not back down from the parshendi uh, knight's radiant theory and i don't know i'm I, i'd be really it'd be really interesting if that was correct and i'm excited to see if it is or not but that's all i've got all right we will uh we'll have to to keep looking back at the uh at the map and seeing if we can if we can place some things okay uh that will pretty much do it for our our episode today we have in fact remembered how to record this podcast and we'll be able to to get this online and have you listen to it which you've now done so because it's nearly the end of the episode uh we did it we did the thing Going on to our next episode, uh, we have four chapters here. Uh, that's 36 through 39. And uh, interestingly, when I, I was talking about having to to figure out where to, to cut chapters or where to cut episodes, uh, a couple of episodes ago, we were kind of joking about how silly it seemed that in the, the two-volume paperback printing of The Way of Kings the the split between the volumes is not actually at the end of a part 
Uh, the split is actually right after chapter 36, which is like, it is a reasonable place to split the book in half. So we were, we were one episode or one chapter off of that. Uh, so we'll do 36 and then we'll get to keep going right into what would be the second volume of The Way of Kings with 37, 8, and 9. Interesting. Uh, but when we do that, we will be posting it as we do for every episode on alwaysanotherpodcast.com. Uh, you can email us at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com. Uh, you can also find us on social media on Twitter at alwaysanotherpod, Instagram alwaysanotherpod, and Mastodon alwaysanotherpod at kind.social. Uh, I do want to thank the the multiple people via email and I think Instagram comment and I think one other. Uh, right, the the last one was a friend of mine who sent it on Discord, uh, who yes. uh, clarified that uh, adverse inference is the term we were thinking of, where you have Hell to assume yeah. that the the missing evidence is as worse as it could be. I love it that people replied. It's I uh, thank you because yeah, I no, searched so hard. <laughs> I I even had searches that include the word adverse in it, and it I could it, it, it never would have happened. I would never have realized it until like five years <laughs> later when I'm just reading something unrelated and it's like oh that. So thank you for for keeping me from going crazy. I really appreciate y'all. Justin, I was really hoping you were going to say thank you to all these people for for answering the question and then not actually say the phrase uh, adverse inference and be like, and if you want to know what we were all talking about, check the comment, like just use that to drive engagement. (laughs) Oh, I missed my chance there. I missed my chance. All right. Yep. That will will do it for us here. We will uh, be back to our reading, back to our recording. Uh, and making more progress through the Way of Kings. Be right back. I'm going to go make a Pepsi coffee cocktail. <laughs> <laughs>